Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Nader Mansour and I pray this message will draw you closer to Jesus. The title uh, of our little study is uh, Pledging. The camp theme is Pledging Allegiance to the Lamb and I want to look at uh, true allegiance to the Lamb. And true allegiance to the Lamb, really I'm thankful that uh, many of the talks that we have been uh, listening to and enjoying uh, have really flowed one from another, and I'm very, very thankful for that. You can see the Lord working. It's a real blessing uh, to see how the studies just all fit together uh, without the speakers really having to get together and plan what they're going to talk about. All the speakers had was just a theme, and it's uh, a blessing to see God working. True allegiance. Have we pledged true allegiance to the Lamb? We sing about it. We say it. Have we really done it? I want to look at that a little bit today. And I want to challenge us all because uh, it's good to be challenged sometimes. That's when we grow. Uh, when we're not challenged, we tend to not grow. And we're going to look at uh, showing allegiance to the Lamb. How do we show this allegiance to the Lamb? Is it by singing the theme song nice and loud? That might be part of it. But uh, a pledging allegiance to the Lamb goes further than that. And uh, we'll start with how the Lamb, the Son of God, considers our situation today in the last days. He gives a diagnosis of those who have claimed to be on his side, those who have made the profession to be his followers and his people in the last days. And it's something that uh, is uh, to really challenge us. If you turn with me to the book of Revelation chapter 3, a very familiar passage as to what the Lamb says to us. And I know Brother Robert dealt with this uh, earlier today. And uh, we'll just look at this quickly, Revelation chapter uh, 3. And in verse 14, it says, Unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would, thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. Quite a description of those who are in their profession to the Lamb, those who are in the church. Now, we, many times we are tempted to think this must be talking about someone else, another group. Surely we cannot be described as such. And uh, this is a true diagnosis of our condition, my condition, according to the Lamb. We learned this morning how many are asleep. All of us. No hands go up. How many are asleep? We're all asleep. That's what uh, Jesus told us, the parable of the, of the ten vir uh, virgins. The parable of the ten virgins is paralleled in this uh, church. That's the church of Laodicea. So this is talking about me. It's talking about you. This is talking about us, a diagnosis of our situation. Now, does Christ tell us this to discourage us? Does He tell us this to repel us or reject us? Certainly not, because if we read in the rest of the message, Christ is seeking to encourage us to seek Him truly and earnestly. You see, the battle is about to get tougher. The heat is about to be turned up as Nebuchadnezzar turned the fire in the furnace. He turned the heat up how many times? Seven times, and that's a parallel for what's about to happen. The heat is about to be turned up. 
And the sad fact of the matter is, most of us are not ready for it. Now, I'm not saying this from my own information. This is the counsel and the diagnosis of the true witness. Most of us are not ready. Christ knows this and he is seeking desperately to wake us up from a false security that we are all prone to fall into. And uh, we are told in the testimony of Jesus about this. We read, the message to the church of the Laodiceans is a startling denunciation and is applicable to the people of God at the present time. The people of God are represented in the message to the Laodiceans as in a position of carnal security. They are at ease, believing themselves to be in an exalted condition of spiritual attainments. Have you ever felt that you are spiritually better than someone else? Don't put your hand up. If uh, you're a human being, at one point or another, you would have been tempted and probably indulged in thinking that, especially if you knew a little bit more information than they did, or a little bit more truth than they did, or if you understood something a little better than they did. I am sure that the devil has tempted you to think that your condition spiritually is exalted. And that's the danger and the problem of literacy. What greater deception can come upon human minds than a confidence that they are right when they're all wrong? Continuing, the message of the true witness finds the people of God in a sad deception, yet honest in that deception. They know not that their condition is deplorable in the sight of God, while those addressed are flattering themselves that they are in an exalted spiritual condition, the message of the true witness breaks their security by startling denunciation of their true condition of spiritual blindness, poverty, and wretchedness. The testimony, so cutting and severe, cannot be a mistake, for it is a true witness who speaks, and his testimony must be correct. It's very hard for us to take that description and say that's us. But this is the counsel of the true witness, the testimony of the true witness. And Jesus acquaints us with this information so that we can remedy the problem by his grace before it is too late. We have an incredible tendency to think of ourselves in an exalted spiritual position. Now, is it important to uh, have spiritual truth, have correct doctrine? It's very important, but it is not the end of the story. The temptation that comes with that is uh, what the Apostle Paul says, knowledge does what? Puffeth up. Without charity, knowledge puffeth up. And uh, while a correct understanding of theological facts is important, it is not the end and in all of it. There is more. Our diagnosis by the true physician is something that we need to seriously heed. And uh, as uh, I think Pastor Des talked about, uh, those who just pat us on the back and say, tell us that everything is okay and feel good about ourselves. We can uh, do that, but the true witness does not do that. The true witness gives us a true condition, analysis of ourselves, lest we become uh, secure in a false security. We know this is a message that will cause a shaking. Someone knows. This is the message that will cause a shaking among God's people. Lukewarm literacy, a Christ wishes that they were hot or Cold. You can sense, detect the, the longing and the desperate cry in Christ's soul. He says, I wish, I wish you were cold or hot. This is the message that finds us today. And there is a good Bible story that illustrates for us this situation of 
Laodicea and what their problem, problem really is in a rather uh, graphic manner. It's a story that is not very well known, and so I pray that you will uh, pay attention to this story, uh, especially those uh, who are in the younger age group, because you might uh, learn something new. In the days of the judges, remember Israel was uh, without a king, and the ruler in Israel would be the judge, a judge that is uh, appointed by God. In the days of the judges, the Israelites were many times in apostasy. They were not uh, faithful. And what would happen when they were not faithful? What would happen to them? Who remembers? Okay, they would become invaded, somebody's saying. They would come under attack and they would come uh, into bondage to other nations. At this time of this story, the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, was uh, over Israel, and his army commander was a man by the name of Sisera. And Israel was, of course, uh, under their uh, control. At this time, there was a prophetess living in uh, Israel, and her name was Deborah. She was a prophetess living, and one day she sends a message to a young man by the name of Barak, that's right, and tells him to gather an army together because they are going to battle and they're going to fight against the occupying forces. Quite a call. Wouldn't that be interesting, young people, if you think a prophet of God comes to you and says, gather an army, we're going to fight, and God will fight for you. Barak was uh, inspired, but a little hesitant, and he made a condition. He said, only if you come with us will we go. And so they went, made a call for the battle, which is a very good spiritual lesson for us, where Christ calls us to battle with him. The call was made, he gathers the troops, takes Deborah with them, and the Lord gives them success. They win the battle, amazingly, despite the 600, uh, 900, I think, uh, chariots of iron that Sisera had. And uh, the call to battle was a very, very important part of that story. Those who responded to the call of the battle went along with Sisera and they obtained the victory that God had for them. Christ calls us to battle beside him today. Paul says that we are co-workers with Christ and we are to willingly give ourselves. Let's look at uh, what happened in that story, how it's described. Come to Judges, if you would, in your Bibles. Judges. And we'll just look at this interesting description. And we'll see what the book of Judges has to do with Laodicea. Judges chapter 5. In Judges chapter 5, after the battle is won, Deborah and Barak, they sing together a song of victory. And in the song of victory, they highlight some points that we want to touch on. Some points that uh, the children of Israel responded by. Verse 2, notice what it says, chapter 5 and verse 2. Praise ye the Lord for the avenging of Israel, when the people willingly offered themselves. Here was a key to their success. The people did what? Willingly offered themselves. Go down a little bit further. Verse 9, notice what it says. My heart is toward the governors of Israel that offered themselves willingly among the people. Bless ye the Lord. Here we have a situation where people and leaders both offered themselves willingly. They gave themselves willingly. But our focus is not on those. We'll come back to those in a minute. Both the, despite the leaders 
and the people that gave themselves willingly, we read a little later of another group of people, an interesting, very interesting group of people. And this group of people actually ignored the call for battle. There were a group of people that lived in the vicinity where the war was taking place. They were directly involved by geographical uh, association and what was happening. And they actually neglected and ignored the call of help. They refused to give themselves willingly. And this neglect brought something to them. It caused something to happen to them. Let's read about them in verse 23. And in verse 23, it says, Curse ye Meruz, said the angel of the Lord. Curse ye bitterly the inhabitants thereof, because they came not to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. The story of Meruz. The city or the town of Meruz is only mentioned in the Bible in this verse. And it's only mentioned in a negative uh, light. The inhabitants of Meruz brought a curse upon themselves because they did what? Because they did nothing. Absolutely nothing. They did not come to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. Probably, of course, this city was in close vicinity, as we said, to the battle. They knew of the call uh, to battle. They knew that they were under the invading armies, and they refused to do anything. Said, not my problem. Somebody else will do it. Barak already has an army. Now, it's interesting that if we look at the story of Meruz, did God need their help to win the battle? No, because the battle was won without their help, obviously. God did not need their help to win the battle, but their lack of cooperation brought a curse upon themselves. When God asked who is on the Lord's side, they made no move. It's interesting that the testimony of Jesus draws a parallel for us between Laodicea and Meruz. It says many of our people are lukewarm. They occupy the position of Meruz. Not some, it says many of our people. We're going to read some uh, testimony of Jesus today, and I just want you to pay attention to some of the words because they really search our hearts. They occupy the position of Meruz, neither for nor against, neither cold nor hot. They hear the words of Christ, but do them not. If they remain in this state, he will reject them with abhorrence. Many of those who have had great light, great opportunities, and every spiritual advantage praise Christ and the world with the same breath. They bow themselves before God and mammon. They make merry with the children of the world and yet claim to be blessed with the children of God. They wish to have Christ as their Savior but will not bear the cross and wear his yoke. May the Lord have mercy upon you, for if you go on in this way, nothing but evil can be prophesied concerning you. Alarming words, aren't they? Serious words. They're addressed to God's people today. And uh, many times we have a tendency to read these statements and apply them to the church, this group, or that one. But this is the testimony of Jesus to me and you. The people of Meruz, though they were in Israel, they did not do anything. We continue as this is a picture of Deborah leading there with the Barak, the armies of Israel. And of course, as we uh, 
said the battle would have taken place in the north region of northern region of Israel there. Uh, and this is where Miruz would have been, just right in the heart of, of where the tribes of Zebulun, Esekar, Naphtali, and Asher there that uh, gathered together with uh, Barak to battle. And right in the middle of all the action, they did nothing. So Miruz is really another name for Laodicea, the do-nothing people. And that's not someone else. That's us. Spiritually, we are lazy, we are asleep, and we are doing nothing. And yet, how many times we think that we are doing great things? The Lord is needing us in the work, sometimes we feel. Servant of the Lord continues. It says, I'm alarmed at the indifference of our churches. Like Meruz, they have failed to come to, up to the help of the Lord. The laymen have been at ease. They have folded their hands feeling that the responsibility rested upon the ministers. But to every man, God has appointed his work, not work in his fields of corn and wheat, but earnest, persevering work for the salvation of souls. Here it is again. Miruz, those who do nothing. Now it's addressed specifically to the laymen that have been at ease. That's all of us. So it's not talking about someone else. Miruz did nothing. They refused to come to the help of the Lord. And this was their sin. This was their, uh, the reason why they brought a curse upon themselves. It was be not because of a great crime they committed. It was not because of some uh, uh, action that they were condemned. But it was because they did not come to the help of the Lord. Luke 12. Jesus gives us another example touching on the same thing. We'll go to Luke chapter 12. Now, how many times have uh, we told the story of Meruz as a bedtime story? It's not a popular story. And I like those stories that are a little bit more, uh, not as well known as the David and Goliath and the Samuel stories. They're very good stories. But these little stories have uh, spiritual lessons in them that uh, will help us remember. So next time we remember Meruz and the uh, talk that we heard, we can remember that that has a lesson for us today. Luke chapter 12, Jesus speaks about a certain servant. Luke 12, 47. It says, And that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. Those who knew, those who heard the call, those who knew what had to be done and did it not have a greater answer to give. Let us not be like Miruz, the do-nothing people, lest we bring a curse upon ourselves. Common excuses uh, today uh, prevent us many times from doing what we can. I'm not talented. Oh, I don't know what to say. What if they ask me a hard question? I don't know what to do. As if God expects us to go out and battle at our own expense. As if the responsibility of saving souls rests with us and we have to come up with all the answers. We have Jesus with us. And the people of Miruz knew that the prophet of God had given that call to come to battle. That God was going to give them victory. Yet they neglected to come to the help of the Lord. Let us not disappoint the Lord. This is precisely Laodicea's problem. You see, a pledge is not a pledge unless it is acted upon. And I want to encourage us all to pledge our actions with action to the Lamb. Uh, 
Let's look at another Bible example. A Bible example that also illustrates the first group that we read about briefly that willingly gave of themselves, that went to the battle, and that was leaders and people. And this other story, some of you might know it, some of you might not know it as well. And uh, the story is in the days of the kings. And uh, if you'll turn with me to 2 Samuel, somewhere in 2 Samuel, I won't tell you what chapter yet. Uh, the days of the kings, David, the king of Israel, when he was crowned king, all Israel came, of course, and pledged their allegiance to the king. And he was crowned king. He was a recognized, anointed of God, the king of Israel. And the time, of course, came when a situation arose in the kingdom of David, a very drastic and terrible situation. A rebellion had been brewing in the king's court, in his palace. And the leader of the rebellion was the son of David, Absalom. He was leading a rebellion against his father, King David. And uh, many people in Israel had joined Absalom and they had given their allegiance to him. They abandoned the allegiance to the true king and joined the rebel prince. The situation got so bad that David had to flee for his life. Can you imagine that? King David, the great King David, having to flee for his life by night through the gates of Jerusalem. And on his flight, as he was departing from Jerusalem, he meets with a group of people who do something. Let's read about it in 2 Samuel chapter 17. And this interesting situation where the king is fleeing and the subjects that had pledged allegiance to him, many of them had turned and joined in the rebellion. In 2 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 27, we read the following. David is escaping, and it says, And it came to pass, when David was come to Mahnaim, that Shobi the son of Nahash, of Rabbah, of the children of Ammon, and Machir the son of Amiel, of Ludabar, and Barzillai, the, uh, the Gileadite of Rojalim, brought beds and basins and earthen vessels and wheat and barley and flour and parched corn and beans and lentils and parched pulse and honey and butter and sheep and cheese of kine for David and for the people that were with him to eat. For they said, the people is hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. Here we see a group of people, and we want to focus on one character in this group of people, and that's the man by the name of Barzillai. Did you hear about this man before? Barzillai the Gileadite. This man, with these other people, did something very, very brave, actually. They did something very brave because the rebellion was gaining ground. And they had pledged allegiance to King David. And when the king now was in trouble and fleeing, they acted upon that allegiance by giving the king support and help in a time of crisis. And there was danger, of course, to them because if the rebellion was successful, what would have happened to them? They would have been endangered. It would have been a lot easier to be like Miruz and do nothing and just wait and see how it will all pan out and join the winning side. But these men had pledged allegiance to King David. And in a time of crisis, they acted. This is a spiritual lesson for us. 
because in a religious crisis, those who pledge allegiance to, lamb, to the Lamb is their time to act in that religious crisis. They did something. This is true allegiance. This was so significant that after the rebellion was put down, as we know, Samson, uh, sorry, Absalom was uh, apprehended. The rebellion was put down and the king could return in peace to Jerusalem. And when that uh, event took place, the king recognized and remembered the service that was done to him by these men. Let's go to chapter 19 and see what the Bible records for us. And this story is very significant because it has a direct spiritual parallel for those who do something for the king. 2 Samuel 19, reading from verse 31. It says, And Barzillai the Gileadite came down from Rujalim and went over Jordan with the king to conduct him over Jordan. The king now is on his way back to Jerusalem. And these men come to escort the king. Now Barzillai was a very aged man, even four score years old. I won't ask how many are this old here today, but how old is four score? 80 years old. Now this man had a good excuse to stay at home, didn't he? He was 80 years old. He came to conduct the king. It says, and he had provided the king of sustenance while he lay at Mahnaim, for he was a very great man. And the king said to Barzillai, come thou over with me and I will feed thee with me in Jerusalem. Jesus says that to each and every one of us. When he pledged allegiance to the king, when he acted on that allegiance, and in a time of crisis showed loyalty by action, the king recognizes that, remembers that, and tells him what? Come, and I will feed you with me in Jerusalem. That's precisely what Jesus told us, isn't it? Come, because there is a supper ready for you. Of course, sadly, Barzillai was a little too old for that. Verse 34, Barzillai said unto the king, How long have I to live? that I should go up with the king unto Jerusalem. And he pled with the king that he would let him die with his family and be buried. And he sent one of his uh, people with him. It's interesting that the King David recognized the service and allegiance of his subjects, even though that was expected of them. And he repaid or attempted to repay, and he did it for uh, the person that was sent instead of Barzillai. He repaid the favor. There is no service that you and I do for Christ that Christ does not repay. Even though we owe him all our service anyway because he purchased us with his blood. Isn't that interesting? Christ keeps careful note and record of everything that we do and he repays us faithfully. Verse 39, And all the people went over Jordan, and when the king was come over, the king kissed Barzillai and blessed him, and he returned unto his own place. The king blessed Barzillai. Why? Because he acted upon his allegiance. Jesus will bless us when we, in his strength, act on that. Is this how our allegiance is seen? Like good, old, faithful Barzillai the Gileadite. In a time of crisis, who stood for the king and helped him. Despite discouraging circumstances and danger and possible defeat and every inducement to abandon allegiance to the king, he still remained faithful. Do you think we're living in a religious crisis? We are, aren't we? A very serious religious crisis in the world and in the church. 
And we need to come to the help of the Lord against the mighty. We're told that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, and spiritual wickedness in high places. These are mighty, strong powers. And God calls upon us to help him, to come to his help against the mighty. Let's not be like Miruz, the do-nothing people, but let's be like Barzillai, the Gileadite, who did something. You see, this is the cure for Laodicea. If we go back to Revelation 3, this is really the cure. And this is what I want you and me to go with today and think on and act on. Revelation 3, notice the cure for Laodicea. Verse 18 and 19, Jesus tells them, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eyesalve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore and repent. This is a message of love from Jesus for a people who are doing nothing, spiritually lazy. The first thing that he says to buy is what? Gold tried in the fire. I just want to spend a few minutes looking at this gold tried in the fire. What is the gold tried in the fire? Okay, faith and love, faith, love, and a faith that works by love. All that is correct. We'll put them all together. That's very true. It's a faith that works by love. We're told, brethren, we must have genuine faith, which is the gold tried in the fire. Genuine faith. I want you to keep that in mind. Because that's a question that Jesus asked when he was here on earth. We must cherish that faith which works by love and purifies the soul. A faith that does something. Works is doing something, isn't it? Faith is not sitting like Miruz and doing nothing. But it is doing something. Unless our faith has a purifying influence, it is worthless. Such a faith leads the soul to God and expands the intellect while it purifies, ennobles, and sanctifies. Let those in youth, those in mature age, and the aged consider that their cases are soon to pass in review before God. What will be the record that they shall meet? Good questions to ponder. We need that genuine faith. The faith that Paul speaks of when he says in Galatians, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I, but who lives in me? Christ. And how did Paul live? And the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. This is the genuine faith that we can purchase from the true witness. The faith of the Son of God. Here's another interesting statement. Now pay careful attention to this. It says, said a great apostle in, uh, to the Gentiles, I live yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. By faith, Paul appropriated the grace of Christ, and this grace supplied the necessities of his soul. By faith, he received the heavenly gift and imparted it to souls longing for life. This is the experience we need, that in a time when iniquity prevails, we read about that this morning. We, must, uh, we may say, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Pray for this faith, strive for it, believe that God will give it to you. That's encouraging. 
We are to pray for which faith? The faith of the Son of God. You know, it's interesting. It doesn't say faith in the Son of God. It's not faith in Jesus, but it is the faith of Jesus. And He alone can give us that. That's why He says, come by of me. True faith that works. Many times we uh, tend to think that we must muster up and conjure up enough faith in Jesus that we might be saved. But it's only the faith of Jesus that, lives, uh, that saves us. Paul lived by the faith of the Son of God. The example of faith that Jesus manifested in his life from the manger to the cross, he offers to us. And the servant of the Lord tells us, pray for this faith, strive for it, believe that God will give it to you. You know, we can do great things through that faith. Jesus said, greater works than these will ye do also, because I go unto my Father. We don't understand too much or dwell too much about that, the faith of Jesus, that we are to have his faith in our lives. The servant of the Lord says, the faith of Jesus is not comprehended. Because if we comprehended, if we understood it, would we be fast asleep? No, we wouldn't be. That's why he says, listen, buy of me gold tried in the fire. It's not comprehended. We must talk it. We must live it. We must pray it and educate the people to bring this part of the message into their home. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? We must talk it. We talked about speech in this camp, didn't we? We must live it, acting it out. We must pray. This morning in worship, we talked about prayer. And uh, it's a powerful reminder for us that, as Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. We need to be praying more and talking less. And especially at camp, uh, who remembers who their prayer partners are from Friday night? You still remember your prayer partners? How many times have you prayed with your prayer partners since Friday night? Okay, I won't ask you to put your hand up if you have or haven't. But if you're feeling a little bad that you didn't, uh, there's still some time left to pray together. And uh, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. Uh, the Lord wants us to be more prayerful. The Lord wants us to have this faith. He says, buy of me gold tried in the fire. Seek me earnestly because there's something that is coming that you have no idea about. In the great controversy, we're told that no pen can portray or no imagination can picture the scenes that are going to come upon this world. You remember reading that? Haven't you ever shuddered when you read those words? And then Mrs. White goes on to say, many do not have the faith that they need to go through that experience. And this is what Jesus is telling us. You need to purchase that faith. Seek it earnestly. This is the faith that enabled to... Christ to live by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. Believe, he believed the promises of God implicitly, and he was able to say at the end of his life, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And uh, Christ says, as the Father hath sent me into the world, so send I you. How do we get this faith? Jesus said, buy it of me. Seek me earnestly. Christ desires to impart to us the riches of his grace. So let us pledge, as part of pledging allegiance to the Lamb, that we will seek earnestly to buy of Him that gold tried in the fire, the faith of 
the Son of God. The faith that works. Let's think more on Him, look more to Him, spend more, uh, more time with Him. And thus we will be changed into His image. We will reflect His image. An interesting and challenging statement uh, that I find is this. Something that we perhaps can all relate to. And it says, It is not by preaching the truth, not only by distributing literature, that we are to witness for God. Let us remember that a Christ-like life is the most powerful argument that can be advanced in favor of Christianity. And that a cheap Christian character works more harm in the world than the character of a worldling. These are powerful words, aren't they? How many times have we found it easier to just give a track, give a book, give some literature, get up and preach, while we neglect the most powerful argument? What is it? A Christ-like character. A Christ-like life is the most powerful argument. And this is really what we need to pay attention to. I'm just going to read a few more statements and... Uh, like I said, I don't have anything to say to you. I want us all to listen to what Jesus has to say to us. We're pledging allegiance to the Lamb, and Christ is challenging us to pledge it with all our heart, like we're singing, with all I am, every member. Christ continues, he says, I, uh, through his servant, I was shown that as a people, we are deficient. Our works are not in accordance with our faith. Our faith testifies that we are living under the proclamation of the most solemn and important message that was ever given to mortals. It's exciting to be living at this time. Do our works correspond with that? Do my works correspond with that? You know, I want you to think, when I read this, I don't feel good about myself. I say, Lord, I am sorry. I need more help. That's what the testimony of Jesus is designed to do. So I'm not standing here telling you uh, I'm an example of that. This is a testimony for all of us. We are deficient. And we continue. Yet in full view of this fact that we're living in the most solemn time, our efforts, our zeal, our spirit of self-sacrifice do not compare with the character of the work. We should awake from the dead and Christ will give us life. The heavenly universe, the beings are looking on us. To them, we look like we are dead. And despite everything that we think we're doing. Now this, like I said, is not to discourage us. This is to alert us to the reality of the fact. We need to seek Jesus. We need to pray one hour, two hours, three hours. It's not the length of prayer really, but the quality of the relationship with Christ. We need to discern his voice clearly. Don't you find it amazing that Jesus prayed entire nights? Have you ever tried that? I tried that once, I fell asleep. Sometimes I sleep without even trying that. Uh, you know, I'd be praying, I'd be so tired and exhausted. I'm sure you've all experienced that, and I'm just not really with it. Christ prayed the entire night, and he woke up, and he didn't wake up. The next morning, he was refreshed and invigorated. Don't you want an experience like that? doesn't mean you pray every night, all night. We do need rest and sleep. But we want an experience that in the last days, in the time of trouble, we will discern God's voice clearly. Pray, pray, pray. We need that faith. 
We need to watch, we continue. We need to watch that the enemy may not steal a march upon us and allure us away from allegiance to Christ. How will he do that? By attracting us to the things of the world. That the things of eternal interest shall be looked upon as of minor importance so that we shall make an atom of a world and a world of an atom. In other words, we see things in reverse, upside down. We get allured and busy with the things that are seen, which Paul tells us are only temporal. While the things which are not seen, the eternal things, we lose sight of. Let us not fall prey for his devices. Just a few more. We're almost done. We're told, he who accepts God as his sovereign must take the oath of allegiance to him. That's what we're all doing here, isn't it? To stand and take allegiance. He must put on the Christian uniform and bear aloft the banner that shows to whose army he belongs. I like that language. That's inspiring. He must make an open avowal of his allegiance to Christ. Concealment is impossible. Christ's impress must appear on the life in sanctified works. So concealment for us is impossible. We cannot hide our colors. We must stand and, as the song says, boldly pledge allegiance. This is a challenging call that the true witness makes to his people, to his people who are really his church. You see, the Laodicean message comes to the church, comes to the believers. It comes to you and me. And it's a message designed to wake us out of slumber. Jesus said, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Wake up and open the door of the house, because Christ says he's standing outside and knocking. Brethren and sisters, this is our last quote. It says, Ye, you are workers together with God. You have not come into the church to let your talents rust while others do the work. You should obey the apostolic injunction. Seek that he may excel to the edifying of the church. You are as a camp of armed men, soldiers enlisted under the banner of the cross, whose duty is to go out into a revolted world and bring back as many as possible to allegiance to Christ. Every new volunteer must learn to endure hardness as a good soldier, to keep the armor on, to wield the sword of the Spirit and to gain victories for the captain of our salvation. This, brothers and sisters, is impossible to accomplish without the faith of Jesus. That's why he says, come, buy of me gold tried in the fire. I want to challenge each and every one of us to follow that injunction. To go out into a revolted world and bring back as many into allegiance to the, to the Lamb. This is inspiring. I read that and I say, Lord, thank you. This is inspiring. You know, this is what we're told God's uh, biddings are enables, enablings. And God's will for us is His promise for us. You know that God wants this to be accomplished? He longs for that to be accomplished. That is part of His will. So when we ask intelligently, according to His will, we know that He will answer us. That's what the Bible says. If we ask anything according to His will, we know that He hears us. Let's do the things that we know Christ wants done. 
I know that there are many things in my life that I need to fine-tune. And the hour is very late in Earth's history. You know, it would be very, very sad to have run well all the way to close to the end and then fall off. It would be very, very sad. You know, the end is very near and this is where all the powers of the enemy converge. And this is the time that finds the church drastically asleep, as though it were dead. The angels are looking on with alarm and shock at God's people, who think that they are rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and neglect the most needful preparation, the faith of Jesus, that is only obtainable by earnest, persevering prayer. You know, we were challenged. Do we pray about our sins? Do we weep before the Lord? It doesn't mean we have to become emotional uh, for it to be a genuine experience, but do we have genuine sorrow of heart for our sins? We need to behold Jesus more. If you were blessed by this message, remember to subscribe and share it with others. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Your prayers and support are appreciated. May God richly bless you through His Son, Jesus.